Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. We're in Torah study number 12 out of Genesis 47 uh, through Genesis 50. And this week, it's a great study, this week is uh, Jacob ready to go home to be with the Lord. And he calls his twelve sons to come before him so he can bless them, each with a unique blessing. And it's the generational blessing. Amen. How many of you came out of the generational curse? (laughs) Dysfunctional family Christmas. Amen. Uh, But God reverses curses. And he brings us into that place where we're passing along a generational blessing and not living under the generational curse. And uh, that's true for us. It's true uh, what we read in uh, uh, this week's Torah study. And so Jacob uh, prays for each of the 12 sons and endows each of the 12 sons with unique, a unique blessing that has unique traits, unique abilities, so that they can accomplish their unique mission for Israel as they grow out of a family and into a nation. Uh, and uh, in the past, we've taught about uh, springboard out of this about your unique divine assignment, and that's a good teaching. You have a unique divine assignment, and God will continue to add more and more to that as you're faithful. Do we have any faithful saints in the house today? Come on, somebody. Uh, But today, I just felt led of the Lord uh, to turn our attention uh, to the prophetic aspect of what's going on this week. Uh, And uh, I was thinking about this, that God wants to give us a prophetic education. Amen. And especially pertaining to the Messiah in Bible prophecy. And so that's what we're going to cover today. And it's going to be a good one, especially if you like Bible prophecy and want to understand prophetic things. It begins in Genesis 49, verse 1, uh, and it says, And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the end of days. Uh, And so most commentators teach about the end of days, uh, referring to the Messianic era, the Messianic age, uh, when the Messiah comes and rules and reigns over all the earth. Uh, And so Jacob is about to prophesy about the end of days, uh, uh, but it says that the, uh, that the Spirit of God wouldn't allow him to continue on into what was going to happen at the end of days. And so he gets right into blessing all of his 12 sons, and he never really shares prophetically what he saw in this vision. 
And one of the reasons that's given in ancient Jewish wisdom is that God didn't want the time of the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Messiah, to be known because if people knew the exact time, then they wouldn't be focused living by faith. They wouldn't be focused living with expectation. They wouldn't have that attitude of getting things done. Instead, they'd be passively waiting for the time to arrive. And this is why Jesus says, no man knows the day or the hour. Because we need to approach this thing the same way. We're not just passively waiting for the coming of the Lord. Jesus said, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? How many of you are walking by faith today? Say amen. Jesus said, occupy until I come. That means take dominion, take spiritual authority. And yeah, things don't always work the way we think they're supposed to work. And sometimes we get our expectations in a place that lead to disappointment. But whatever the perfect will of God is, that is going to manifest in our lives. The devil has no control over our lives. He has no control over the steps of a righteous woman or the steps of a righteous man. So we need to live like that, act like that, expect that Jesus could come back at any time. And if he does, hallelujah. If he doesn't, hallelujah. <laughs> right? Are you with me? So Jacob proceeds to bless each of his sons. And when he gets to Yehuda, Judah, in verse 10, there's a messianic prophecy. And this is kind of the key for today. In verse 10 it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him... Shiloh, shall be the obedience of the people. Genesis 49.10. Now, let me give you another translation. It says, The scepter will not depart from Judah until the one comes to whom it belongs. All right, now we're starting to see the messianic component. One of the great rabbis in all of Jewish history, Nachmanides, interprets this verse as, The scepter shall not depart from Yehuda, nor a scholar from among his descendants, until Shiloh arise, and to him there will be a subduing of nations. Wow. So, there's many translations uh, of this verse, but it's a verse that's considered to be one of the great Old Testament prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. Ancient wisdom considers Shiloh to be synonymous with the Messiah. Uh, one uh, uh, Midrash says that rulership abideth with the tribe of Judah until the arrival of Shiloh, the Messiah. And so some believe the name Shiloh signifies his son, Judah's son, and should be rendered, the verse should be rendered, until his son comes. 
Uh, and so, again, this is a reference that the Messiah will come from the tribe of Judah. Anybody ever heard of the Lion of Judah? <laughs> right? Okay, you're connecting some dots. Others point to the root meaning of Shiloh, which in Israel they pronounce Shiloh. Shiloh, Shiloh, Shiloh. And it signifies to be quiet, to be peaceable, and prosperous. And so this seemingly is a reference to Isaiah 9, 6, the Prince of Peace. Unto you a child is born, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Shiloh, Shiloh. Amen? Do you see that today? And, uh, and so uh, this Prince of Peace will come as God's peace offering to make reconciliation between God and man. And uh, this is symbolic uh, of the first coming of the Lord uh, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on what? A donkey. Uh, The lowly man of peace entering into a messianic moment. Now, in our Christian understanding, of course, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of this messianic prophecy. He descended from the Lion of Judah, as is outlined in the genealogy of Matthew 1. He's identified as the Lion of the tribe of Judah in Revelation 5.5. He's the symbol for the, uh, the tribe of Judah, or uh, the lion is the symbol for the uh, tribe of Judah. He's called the Prince of Peace, as I mentioned, out of Isaiah 9, 6. And so what all of this is telling us is that Yehuda, Judah, and his descendants, the Jews, Judah, <laughs> Okay, who are they talking about? Judah. (laughs) The descendants of Judah. They're destined to rule over God's people until the day that Shiloh appears. Until the Messiah comes. Now as I'm studying this out, okay, now the big question to me came up uh, that... uh, Uh, Was this prophecy fulfilled during the first coming when Yeshua came as the Lamb of God, as Messiah ben Yosef? Remember we taught on the two Messiahs, Messiah ben Yosef, Messiah ben David. Uh, uh, Is this prophecy fulfilled in the first coming or... Will it be fulfilled in the second coming, which is at the end of the seven-year tribulation period when Yeshua comes back as Messiah ben David, the conquering king, the Lion of Judah? So there is this great uh, question, and we can argue until the cows come home on how it will all play out, no matter how it all plays out. Are you ready for the return of the Messiah? If that day comes today, are you ready to go out with a shout and say, Hallelujah, Jesus, and he'll say, Well done, you good and faithful servant. Amen. Amen. And so uh, that was, that's kind of what I got to thinking about. And uh, I'll get into some more of these thoughts as we go down uh, through this lesson. 
Uh, I uh, always like to look up different translations of the Bible. I happen on the web's uh, internet use Bible Gateway a lot because they have the complete Jewish Bible, the Tree of Life Bible, the Orthodox Jewish Bible. And then I recommend anybody who really is a student of Torah, student of the Bible, uh, that you get the Humash. Paula has those. You can get them. Uh, I don't recommend you support Amazon as much as uh, we support Amazon. I don't know if you ever read about the owner and what his beliefs are, but <laughs> okay. Uh, so support Paula and get a blue book called the Humash. Amen. And in there is all the rabbinical commentary on the five books of Moses, the Humash. That's what it means, the five, and not the five on the fox. Uh, amen. And so uh, the complete Jewish Bible translates this verse, The scepter will not pass from Yehuda, nor the ruler's staff from between his legs, until he comes to whom obedience belongs. And it is whom the people will obey. Amen. And so the NIV and other translations interpret this. He whom the peoples will obey as he whom the nations will obey. So the more I get to thinking about this and studying this, and you'll see this unfold a little bit more, when do the nations obey? They're not obeying now. <laughs> There's a one-world antichrist globalist movement taking place. The birth pangs are happening, and we're heading towards that seven-year tribulation, the rapture, the tribulation, and then after the seven years, then you get into the second coming, the battle of Armageddon and the second coming. And so all of these, uh, this, uh, the Bible experts are showing us, and the verses themselves are showing us, and it leads me to believe that the ultimate timing of when this prophecy takes place in its fullness will be at the second coming and not uh, before, not at the first coming. Uh, and of course, we know at the second coming, this is when the Messiah sets up his kingdom, right? This is when we enter into the thousand-year reign of Christ, right? The Sabbath millennium. This is when uh, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, will rule and reign from where? Jerusalem, <laughs> right? He's coming out of heaven with all of His armies, and He is going to do battle with all the nations that are rebellious, and this is when all of a sudden they learn about the Scripture, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Now, we won't have time to uh, divert over there, but at the end of Revelation, when Satan is he's bound for a thousand years and then loose, there's still nations that still rebel. And you would think after a thousand years of living under the rulership of the Lord, and there's peace and prosperity, the lamb lays down with the lion, they beat their uh, swords into plowshares, all of these messianic scriptures, you would think that, yep, he's the Lord, and yet they still want to rebel. 
Amen. So if you wonder sometimes why your family doesn't come to accept Jesus because they got the wrong spirit and that spirit just keeps on wanting to rebel. And so in your intercessory prayer time, uh, you go after that spirit of rebellion, that spirit of unbelief, that, that spirit that always has an argument against why uh, I should believe in Jesus Christ. Amen. And if it comes to it, you might even mention it kindly. (laughs) That Jesus is the reason for the season. That you can't spell Christmas without Christ. (laughs) If you don't have Christ, all you got is Xmas. (laughs) And why do so many people feel Xed out, crossed out? Because they haven't come to the cross of Christ and received Jesus as Lord and Savior. So anyway, uh, the Humash says of this word, until, until Shiloh comes, until Shiloh comes, the until does not mean that Judah's ascendancy, Judah's leadership, Judah's role in the world, Judah's role in our religious experience, that doesn't end with the coming of the Messiah. But that's what the church is taught. That's why discovering your Jewish roots is a discovery. We should have never had to discover our Jewish roots. We should have been able to grow up from uh, the time of Jesus until now, honoring, appreciating, respecting our biblical heritage. These are our ancestors. This is part of our salvation history, and yet we're now just trying to rediscover that. It'd be like going to Ancestry.com, and all of a sudden, you've got 1,800 years of history that's blank. Hey, what's going on here? I want my money back. Why is it blank? Because the church severed us from our Jewish roots. Uh, Newsflash, our boss is more than a Jewish carpenter. Our boss is a Jewish rabbi. (laughs) Our boss uh, speaks Hebrew. What's the official language in heaven? It's not English. It's not Spanish. It's not Portuguese. It's Hebrew. Just a clue. (laughs) Amen. And so Judah's ascendancy didn't end with the first coming of the Messiah. Judah's leadership role didn't end because Jesus came. To the contrary, uh, the Humash says, once the Messiah begins to reign, this is written in the book, Judah's blessing will become fully realized. And go to even a higher plateau. And at the same time, all the nations will acknowledge His greatness. Well, what's that speaking about? Oh man, that all of our ancestry is tied in to the Jewishness of the gospel. Amen. The gospel doesn't begin in Matthew. The gospel begins in Genesis. <laughs> and the, so when we well, I preach the full gospel, brother. Okay, so you, you believe Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all the rest, right? No, I'm a New Testament saint. Well, you're not a full gospel saint then. I'm preaching to the choir, so sing amen, somebody. <laughs> well, how can I say that? 
I'm just saying what Paul said. Anybody believe what Paul said? Do I get one amen? Do I get another amen? Can I get a hand up here and a a big smile there? Paul knew this better than anyone. The whole book of Romans is defining our relationship as Gentiles with the Jews. Amen? And uh, the key chapter, there's a lot of chapter, but the key chapter is Romans 11. You Gentile, you church, you Roman are grafted into Israel. They support you, Gentile. You don't support them. Oh, I just prefer to wipe that out in my Bible. I don't want to deal with that concept. Well, deal with it. It's the end time prophecy, right? And so Paul said, we're supposed to support Israel. What does New Beginnings do? We support Israel. We're supposed to honor the framework of religious expression that was established in Jerusalem, not the other way around. No, the Jews are supposed to model the framework of religious expression as defined by Rome. I'm putting my foot down. That's final. You act like the Romans. You act like the Christians. And the Jews have said for all these centuries, "Uh uh-uh, because of this prophecy. Right? Judah will be the leader until Shiloh comes. And when Shiloh comes, all the nations will be in obedience. That wasn't at the first coming. He's talking about the second coming where every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. So uh, that's what Pastor Larry has us on this amazing journey that started, you know, back in the mid 90s. Of course, when he came back from uh, Jerusalem, uh, that first trip that he had, and he he did his uh, version of breaking Christian news. We're going to study the Bible from a Jewish perspective. And everybody was freaking out. Oh my gosh, what the heck is... It's like Vince Lombardi in one of those great Vince Lombardi clips. What the heck is going on out there? Well, what was going on out there is we got a revelation that God is giving to the whole world now, and it's part of the coming of the Messiah. How will you know the Messiah is ready to return? A lot of reasons. Israel is a nation again. But that the hearts of the children, the Christian, will return, turn back to the fathers. I always heard that as just a family scripture. And that's great. Amen. The hearts of the fathers, the hearts of the children. Yeah, our family, we receive that and blah, blah, blah. But that's not the context. In the last days, God will release Elijah who will proclaim certain things and the spirit of Elijah will cause the hearts of the fathers, the spiritual fathers, Israel, to turn back to the Gentiles. And then vice versa. We're fulfillment of that. You coming to new beginnings is fulfillment of that prophecy. You supporting Aliyah. You supporting Israel, the Holocaust survivors, the children victimized by terror attacks, and all the other things, the buying of the ambulances, the planning. All these things are tearing down the walls and preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. Kind of neat to be in a church that has that level of vision. Instead of, I'm okay, you're okay. What'd you learn today in church? I'm okay and you're okay. (laughs) Wow. 
Where do I sign up for that? Amen. Are you with me? Amen. Look at what Romans 3 says. Paul is having this debate against a straw man. And it comes up about living uh, the Torah. And this is from the Passion Translation, Romans 3.1. So then, what is the importance of circumcision? And what advantage is there of being a Jew? Verse 2, Paul answers his own rhetorical question. Actually, there are numerous advantages. Paul, you really blew it right there. Here was your chance to cancel out Judah. And you didn't cancel out Judah. Actually, there are numerous advantages of being a Jew. What's most important, does he say? That God distinguishes the Jews from all other people by entrusting them with the revelation of His prophetic promises. When did that change? It hasn't changed. And in Genesis 49.10, when Jacob is prophesying over Yehuda, he says that the scepter will not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. And is that the first coming? Well, let's say in a lesser sense. But in its full sense and in the greater sense, that hasn't happened yet. And as Pastor was teaching when he did that amazing series on the signs of God and the end times and everything, and he talked about uh, uh, it's during the tribulation, after the church is raptured, and God sends the two witnesses, which, you know, there's debate on who they are, but let's just say Elijah and Moses stand down there by the western wall in Jerusalem and face down the Antichrist. Christ and preach the gospel and 144 Jewish evangelists get turned on for God and the world experiences in the face of an antichrist a great revival and all of a sudden there's a aha a, a moment. Oh, I got you. Ah! Right? So what advantage is there of being a Jew? Why do we care about any of this? There's a lot of advantages. Most of all, the things that they interpret in prophecy are important for Christians to understand. Well, uh, that's a proof text, brother. Okay, Mr. Arguer. How about Romans 9? Can we wipe that out? Do we have scissors for those that want to cut that out of your Bible? You are Israelites, Paul says, Jews, my fellow citizens, and God's chosen people. To you belong God's glorious presence, the covenants, the Torah, the temple with its required sacrifices, the promises of God. We trace our beginnings back to the patriarchs, and through their bloodline is the genealogy of the Messiah, who is God over everything. May He be praised through endless ages. Amen. Now notice what Paul didn't say. To you used to belong. Paul, why didn't you say it that way and just make it easier that with the coming of Jesus, everything got nullified uh, to the Jew? 
If that were the case, then he would have said, to you used to belong all these things. But he says it in present and future tense, to you belong all these things, including the bloodline. So why do we look back at all these things and study? For these reasons, all right? And of course, uh, this is that backstory of Genesis 49. And of course, there's many other prophetic scriptures. Uh, and, and thus, we suddenly realize that uh, the Messiah isn't a Christian idea. The idea of a Messiah didn't come from Christianity. The idea of a Messiah came from the Jews. Jesus told the woman at the well in John 4, salvation is of the Jews. He didn't say salvation is of the Jews until I die on the cross. Then everything for the Jew is canceled. And then it all shifts to Christianity. And by the way, uh, if you want to make some extra money, buy a uh, U-Haul franchise because we're moving everything from Jerusalem to Rome. Experts say there's like 400 Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament that point to the coming of the Messiah. Some are the first coming, some are the second coming. The first one is in Genesis 3. Genesis 3.15, God says after Satan caused the sin in the garden, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. We understand her seed, but I got to think, well, what about your seed? Who is the seed of Satan? Those that don't do the will of God. And the only way you get from out from underneath that curse is by being born again. Well, this is the way I'm born. I can act any way I want, have any kind of behavior I want. That's the way I was born. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. <laughs> Ever think of it that way? That's why you must be born again. Come on, somebody. And he, the Messiah, shall bruise you on the head. Some translations say will crush your head. That's a good one. If you're going through a time where you feel like the devil's trying to crush you, you get this scripture and the revelation of that and realize my Lord and Savior that was born as a baby but who is a conquering king crushed the head of Satan and I now have been given back the keys. I have the victory. I have dominion. I have authority. And I'm going to continue to fight the good fight of faith. I'm not backing down. I'm not slowing down. I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. I'm not going back to the world. My life is sealed in Christ. I have decided to follow Jesus. And that's that. End of story. Amen. Another messianic prophecy in the Hebrew Bible is that the Messiah would come from Abraham. Genesis 22:18 God said to Abraham, "In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice." Hallelujah. 
Now, how is that a prophecy? Because Paul brings it out in Galatians 3.16. And he said that the seed that's being talked about uh, and prophesied to Abraham, the seed is the seed of Christ. This is why you need to be born again. You need to have a spiritual experience where you go from living and, uh, and have a, you've been birthed into the kingdom of Satan. Now you're born again into the kingdom of God. Translated out of the kingdom of darkness. Who am I talking about today? You lived in some darkness. You fought some battles. The devil had you one foot, had you have one foot in hell and the other one on a banana peel. And all of a sudden you got the revelation that Jesus Christ his savior and all of those lies all of that all of those problems all of a sudden they were minimized and you could see the light the shining star moses gave another prophecy about the coming of shiloh in deuteronomy 18 18 i will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their kinsmen i will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything i order him whoever doesn't listen to my words which he will speak in my name will have to account for himself to me says the lord Amen. So this is a prophecy that describes that there's a person who would come after Moses. And he would be like Moses. See, what you got to understand, all these people that think that the Old Testament is abolished, what do you think, Moses and Jesus are up in heaven having fist fights over who's right? What do you think's going on in heaven with Moses and Jesus? Oh, the, Moses' camp is over here, and they're the Hatfields, and Jesus' camp in heaven is over here, and they're the McCoys. That's what replacement theology would have us believe. He would be a Jewish prophet. And like Moses, he would communicate the very words of God. And it would be essential to listen to Him. And you and I as believers, obviously we recognize this prophecy as being fulfilled through Yeshua, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Now look, this is a prophetic education. So we try to give you a little hype, a little cotton spitting, so you get your you know, heart pumping. But look, I just don't want to be hyped. I don't know about you, I've been in Christianity since the 80s, I've been around, and I've seen every preacher there is, and for me personally, I like to be hyped, like when I go home today to watch the Dallas Cowboys uh, uh, beat up on the New York Giants, I'm going to probably be standing most of the the day hyped, (laughs) excited. But none of that excitement matches the excitement that I have for the Lord. But I just don't want hype. I want knowledge. Give me some wisdom with that hype. Can I have a little side of wisdom? I'd like an extra side of knowledge. Could you give me a little extra revelation on top of the hype? Wouldn't it be a, a, a sad commentary if 30 years later we were a mile wide and an inch deep in our knowledge and understanding of the Bible? What a tragedy that would be. Some people, that, I believe that's why there's tears in heaven. Why does Jesus have to wipe away the tears? What did you do with what I gave you, folks? 
How did you spend your time? Well, my time, man, well, first I had to check my social media stuff, make sure that's all up. Then I had my email stuff. Then I had to run over to soccer camp. Then I had to, da, da, da. well, when did you ever have time to study the Bible? Well, I was going to. You know my heart. Well, we got to get beyond that, folks. Especially in the last days where the devil is out there like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I got one amen. Can I get a second amen? No one here feels like I'm talking to you on that, right? You're here. (laughs) You're doing what you're supposed to. You're about your father's business. So you should be happy and rejoice. And then pray for those that got one foot in the world and the other one on an oil slick. Man, we're just running out of time. There's so many others. Uh, I wanted to dig in a little bit into Numbers twenty four seventeen. Balaam, the Gentile prophet, has a messianic prophecy. Uh, and he said that there's a star that shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab. Now, if we had time, we'd read the entire chapter, but you go back and look, especially from verse 14 on, Balaam has a vision. And he's communicating that vision to King Balak because they were trying to curse Israel. And every time they try to curse Israel, God reversed the curse and made it a blessing. And they were, uh, the enemy was getting frustrated. Some of y'all need a vision of that in your own life. That what the enemy means for evil, I know my God is faithful. He's not going to abandon me. He'll never leave me or forsake me. This thing will be turned around. And while I'm waiting for all the details to be worked out, I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to pray in the Holy Ghost. I'm going to be a tongue-talking, Bible-believing, pew-jumping, God-worshiping Christian. That's the height part, so be height. But, but what goes on in this chapter and why I think that these prophecies are all pointing to the second coming and not the first is because in each of them they're describing a conquering king. And Jesus came the first time not as a conquering king but as a suffering servant. This is the secret of the two Messiahs in Jewish teaching. The Jewish people believe that the Messiah will come one of two ways. Either as Messiah ben Yosef, Joseph the suffering servant that we read about in Isaiah 53 that Zechariah 9.9 talks about that the Messiah will come lowly riding on a donkey. Jesus came the first time not to uh, be a conquering king against all the enemies like the Romans and everyone else that came to occupy Israel. He came as the suffering servant to crush Satan's head spiritually so our spiritual enemies would be defeated. But he's coming, and that he came as the Lamb of God. But Jesus isn't coming back as the Lamb of God. Breaking news. The Jesus of the Gospel is not the same Jesus coming back in Revelation. The Jesus of the Gospel saves us from our sins. 
That Jesus of Revelation comes as a conquering king to judge the nations and crush the devil and put things under his feet and establish the kingdom and the one world government that the world's trying to get all in place for the Antichrist. That's all counterfeit. The real one world government will be under Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Amen? That's why I think that these prophecies are more second coming rather than... Maybe it's lesser and greater. Lesser in the first coming, but greater the ultimate in the second coming. Look, I don't have time to read this, but read, read Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 about Isaiah's vision. <clears throat> Actually, his son, Amos. Uh, he said, in the last days... Everyone is going to realize that the truth comes out of Jerusalem. And they're going to go to and fro to Jerusalem to hear the word of the Lord out of Zion. And that's speaking of the tribe of Judah, Yehuda, Judah. All right, so uh, we're running out of time, but uh, trying to bring this to a close. That it's, it's no coincidence that these prophetic words come up just as we're celebrating the birth of the Messiah. And Matthew describes how the wise men came to seek the newborn king in Matthew 2, for instance. It says in verse 1, In the time of Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, not the West Bank, Not occupied territory, not disputed settlements. (laughs) Uh, Amen. Wise men came from the east to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? Notice what they're saying there. King of the Jews. How did they recognize this? How did They said, well, we observed his star at his rising and we've come to pay him homage. But who are these wise men from the East? How did they know about the birth of the Messiah and that it would be announced by a star? Why were they looking for a Jewish Messiah in the first place? And what made them come to Jerusalem? Why didn't they go to Baghdad? Why didn't they go to Beirut? Why didn't they go to Rome? Why did they come to Jerusalem? Yeah, I'm glad you thought that question. Well, one thing is... It's good to understand the land of the East. The land of the East is widely acknowledged as the area where Babylon was associated. At the time of Jesus, there were more Jews living in the Babylon area because of King Nebuchadnezzar and because of the exile. After that 70-year prophecy of Jeremiah, only a few Jews came back to Jerusalem with Ezra and Nehemiah. Most of them stayed there in Iraq. That's where Baghdad is. I mean, Babylon is in the Iraq area. And so one of the Jews that were carried off was Daniel. And in Daniel 4.9, Daniel is called the wisest of the wise. He is the rabbi of rabbis. 
And so where did the wise men come from? They came from the east. They came from where Nebuchadnezzar had brought in all of the Jews in exile. And they all stayed there. And Daniel starts a yeshiva and starts teaching the scriptures in modern day Iraq. Okay? And this is likely where the wise men got wise. All right? Uh, And in fact, Daniel, I wish we had time. Man, i got to wrap this up. Daniel prophesies about the Messiah in Daniel chapter 9. It's one of the most overlooked prophecies in all the Bible. And it contains a precise countdown to when the Messiah would first appear. It's commonly called the 70 weeks of Daniel. Some of you know this. And according to the angel Gabriel who appeared to Daniel, this prophecy that he gave, he said, there's coming a time after so many years that the anointed prince would appear in Jerusalem. And he put a timeline on it and said 69 weeks. This key, though, is it's 69 weeks of years. And if you multiply Seven years times 69, you get 483 years. And in this prophecy in Daniel 9, the countdown, which there's arguing over that, but it's probably when Nehemiah got the decree uh, to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild Jerusalem. And that's what the prophecy says. When the decree happens, the countdown starts. And you'll count 483 years, 69 weeks of years, 483. Now, at the time of Nehemiah, when he gets this edict to rebuild Jerusalem, if you subtract when that was, 483 years, just take a wild guess what date you come up with, 32 A.D., 32... Wonder what was happening in the world around 32 AD. <laughs> Are you tracking with me? I know this is prophetic education. I don't want education. I just want. High-